Welcome to Benefits, What, Like It's Hard? The podcast that breaks down the truths and misconceptions about all things benefits. Not only do we talk about what you should know about the benefits offered to you through your employer, but we also tackle topics on physical and financial wellness. I mean, come on, what more could you want from a podcast? Join me, Libby Allison, each week to hear from people just like you sharing their own experiences and experts giving us the inside scoop on the information we need to be successful. Hi, everyone. Today we are continuing our life event series in terms of what you need to be thinking about with your finances. And specifically, we're focusing on what you should be thinking about when you gain financial independence. And we'll talk a little bit in this podcast about what financial independence even means. Um, So with us as like an expert on this topic is Nick Groman. He's a wealth advisor and director of financial planning at Haran Wealth Management. Haran is an SEC registered investment advisor and a division of Haran Securities and a member of FINRA, SIPC, and is located in Cincinnati, Ohio. In addition to being a certified financial planner, Nick has his MBA from Xavier and Juris Doctor from Chase Law School. Is that right, Nick? That's right. I spent a lot of time, years, and money, and hair loss. (laughs) If you don't know, Nick is looking pretty bald right now. Yeah, yeah. (laughs) So, um, so yes. Um, So, uh, thank you, Libby. And then also with us today is Zach, the intern Martin, who has joined us at Haran this past year. And Zach, like myself, is also not a Xavier alum, but a Xavier student. So definitely comes from a, a, a high-quality university, if I can say so myself. Yes, absolutely. And I still have hair. Yes, yeah. not for long. <laughs> Be careful. I went to see you guys. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> So before we jump into the topic, we do have just some considerations that we're going to go through, and then we'll jump right in. So, Nick. Yes. Yeah, so for um, so for anything you hear today um, for our podcast, just consider that at Haran, we do offer an array of products and services that may be beneficial to the topic. So there could be some personal bias. However, this conversation is meant to be educational in nature only. I wouldn't want anyone to misconstrue that I am recommending to specifically buy or sell any investments we might discuss today, nor am I offering any tax or legal advice for our conversation today. Okay, great. Right. So let's jump in. Financial independence. Yeah, so for financial independence, this is something that is becoming more and more at the forefront for a lot of conversations with clients and with people today. And the biggest question I usually get is, what is financial independence? What does that mean? And it's honestly a trick question, um, because financial independence is different for everyone. Um, So for me, as an example, financial independence means having control of your money and being able to dictate where your money goes, how it's allocated, as opposed to it has to go somewhere. So when we're looking at financial independence, being financially independent would mean okay, I've paid my mortgage, my utilities, my bills, I have surplus cash, now I've got the freedom to do what I want with it. There's not, oh, I've got to keep paying down my credit card, I've got to make sure I pay off XYZ debt. So for me, that's how I would look at financial independence and what I try to convey to a lot of clients. But the important thing is, 
the financial independence varies from person to person. It also depends on your life stage as well. People in their 50s and 60s are going to have a different mindset of financial independence as opposed to somebody in their 20s. So I think for us, before we kind of dive into kind of like the habits on how you obtain financial independence and some of the key pieces of it, um, I think the first big thing is that we need to kind of really discuss what it means for each individual person. So like for Zach, how would you describe kind of your financial independence? What, what does that mean to you? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, financial independence for me uh, means reaching a goal of mitigating uh, debt. As a student, um, loans are a reality, and balancing how much I take in debt um, at the end of my uh, college career is very important. Um, Therefore, finding that number and stopping myself from going any further into the hole is very important. Throughout the summers, I work two jobs to be able to afford the rent uh, for the school year and also to not reach too far into the federal loan uh, bank, so to speak. Yeah, you have some uh, specific purchases to make while in college, right? Yes, absolutely. <laughs> I'm going to make sure I have a fun time in college there, as well. There you go. Yeah. What about for you, Libby? What would you say, how would you describe just financial independence for you? What, is, what does that mean for you? I think of financial independence of when I graduated college, had a salary, and was officially on my own. I think for most people, your parents kind of help you through college in some way or another. Um, and once I graduated, my parents were kind of like, See ya. all right, <laughs> you have a job, figure it out. And I didn't live, I didn't, I ended up moving to Cincinnati technically. My, I'm originally from Fort Wayne, Indiana, so I'm three hours from my parents. So they couldn't even, they couldn't really help me find a place to live. They couldn't really do, you know, anything about my job or, you know, they just don't know the Cincinnati area. So for me, it was when I officially was off my parents' payroll payroll, <laughs> and had to start budgeting for myself and paying for things all on my own. Gotcha. So, I mean, I think that's a good uh, kind of segue into kind of some of the habits that you had to de develop to become financially independent. And I think just from all of our experiences, I mean, as you can, as you can see, everyone has their own mindset on what it means to be financially independent. Um, but I would say there's a couple of key habits, though, that really are part of everyone's kind of development of becoming financially independent. And I think that's something that I want to make sure we really discuss and share today, because even though these are foundational pieces of becoming financially independent, a lot of times people will half attempt the habit or they'll start out on the right track and then just abandon it because life happens or something changes in their certain uh, circumstances. So, I mean, one of the big things, I would say one of the key foundational pieces for financial independence and obtaining it is just being aware of your financial situation. So, with financial situations and awareness, the one big thing that really comes into play is looking at your income compared to your actual spending level. So, I'll see this all the time with clients now. They're making really good money in their mid-20s. Um, let's just use like a, I'll use a physician as an example that might be making 200, 300,000 right off the bat. They've got a lot of student loan debt and they're also spending a lot. 
So if you're spending $200,000 a year and you're making, let's say, $150,000, you're really not becoming financially independent. You're more running yourself into the ground and having that debt. And when I ask clients about that, the first big thing is they're not even aware of their spending. It's more if money comes in, it's utilized and spent and goes right back out. So if you're not even conscious of your own initial situation and what you're making compared to what you're spending, then you're really never going to achieve the financial independence um, that you're looking for. Or if you do, it's going to be significantly delayed. I have a question for you. Mm -hmm. I remember when I grad, like I remember graduating and having no concept mm -hmm. for how a set, like you get an annual salary, but I had no idea what that meant monthly. Mm -hmm. I had no idea, like in the grand scheme of things, how how far that money goes and how to actually start with a budget. So I like bought this, I like, I shouldn't say bought, I like rented this really, really dingy apartment that I found on Craigslist. Oh man. <laughs> I, just, I didn't know yeah. like how far the money was gonna go and I also didn't wanna spend all of my money in rent. Mm -hmm. um, and I wanted to be in a certain area that's higher priced. Mm -hmm. So I guess, I don't know, do you have any advice for college grads getting their first job, having their first salary, how do you make a budget when it's kind of this, like, like when you get your offer, it's like an arbitrary annual number? Yeah, I mean, I think the first thing is uh, kind of initially taking a deep breath and taking a step back first and just thinking, okay, I've got my cap. So my salary is going to be X, Y, Z. My per paycheck amount is going to be blank. And that's kind of the first step is just getting kind of that I don't want to take a roof over the house, but basically kind of getting something closed in. You know the environment that you're going to be in, what your spending level is going to be. From, from I'll use myself as an example. You're really not going to know what you're going to be spending until you've been living in that apartment or that location for two to three months. Yeah. So really the biggest advice I would have is I hate saying using tracking apps because I don't use them personally, um, but I know... A lot of apps now, and even credit card companies, will track your spending, and they'll put it in different categories for you, and it's usually free. Like I know, like American Express, as an example, does that a okay. lot of tracking. So what that allows you to do with it is at least get a sense of what percentage of your surplus cash or just your cash flow in general is being spent towards, and that allows you to kind of see your key areas where money's going. And then you can kind of morph it and adjust it from there. But as far as the advice goes, I mean, it's to your point, Libby, everyone's kind of in the dark for the first month or two. Like if you're taking a job across country and let's say you're from Cincinnati and you're going to move to California, yeah, your cost of living is going to change immediately. Well, that becomes even harder. Right. So I think there needs to be probably a, a one or two month kind of grace window before you get up to speed. I mean, yeah. you're really not going to know what you spend until you've been there for about a month or two. And by tracking apps, just to be clear, because we've talked about tracking apps, I think, in the past mm -hmm. on the podcast. Yep. It's basically, I think we've named, like, Mint. Yep. What are some other ones? Mint is one. Uh, Quicken is another. Okay. Um, yeah, and a lot of the credit card carriers are using it now. Again, not saying to anyone you, to get a credit card or anything like that, always be cautious on uh, what card or what bank you're using, but a lot of those companies now are offering yeah. those types of built-in services. Um, again, it's probably more data mining <laughs> that a lot of those companies are doing. 
But if you do use the resource, at least it doesn't cost you anything. Okay. But Mint and Quicken are going to be more independent where you can link multiple accounts yeah. to see higher spending. Can we take it? I'm going to throw a curveball here because yeah. I just had a thought. Uh, can we take a minute to talk about credit cards real, yeah. real quick? Yeah. Because I think some, like my husband, for instance, his dad set him up with a credit card when he was young. Mm -hmm. He was able to start building credit when he was young, and he was able to get used to using a credit card young while he was still kind of living under his parents' mm -hmm. house, and, like, they were giving him advice, and they were helping him through how to, um, you know, properly utilize a credit card. I didn't have that. Mm -hmm. So it wasn't that my parents weren't were telling me not to get one, but they weren't telling me to get one, and I had no idea how credit cards worked. I didn't have great credit because I didn't have credit cards. It took me a while to even get approved mm -hmm. for credit cards. And then I also learned, like when I first graduated, even from college, I was using my debit card for everything. Mm -hmm. And I also learned that that's not maybe the right, the best way to do it because if someone gets a hold of your debit card information, you could lose a lot of your money. Yep. So, um, I don't know, just any thoughts on that or advice. Obviously, what I learned is that having a couple of credit cards is okay, but I have them set up on auto pay, yep. um, and they do kind of track what I'm spending right. through that. And I see it in my, like, it comes out of my debit account when mm -hmm. I pay it off, Um and it's helped my credit score significantly, having a credit card. So I don't know. I don't know if we want to offer this advice or not, but I think a lot of people graduate high school or college, know nothing about credit cards, have no experience yep. with them, and maybe that's why some of these people are just running them up and, like, getting so much debt from credit cards. I think it's an important piece of gaining financial independence. Right. So, and that, I was in the same boat, so... Probably because my parents didn't trust me to have a credit card <laughs> um, when I was younger, but I didn't have my first credit card until I was probably, yeah, probably sophomore to junior in college, and it was more for emergencies. Yeah. Um, so the one thing I will say with credit cards, especially at a very young age, there are a thousand different credit cards out there, and I think every store now has some form of credit card um, that you can utilize. Um, my biggest advice would be if you're using a credit card right away, use a credit card that does not come with an annual fee. That's the first thing. That's a yeah. fee that you're paying right off the bat. So when you go to Starbucks and they talk about their credit card, it's going to cost 100 bucks to have per year. It's not worth it. Why do people even – why is there a fee one? Do you know the answer to that? And why would you – none of my credit cards have fees. Yeah. So, why would you ever do that? So – the reason why you see that for a lot of credit card companies is usually it's a money grab. It's, hey, if you're going to pay us this money to have this card and access to all these perks and benefits, then we're going to charge you. So I'll okay. use American Express as an example. A lot of their, their entry-level card doesn't cost anything. There's no annual fee. But the additional layers of cards that are higher up the chain come with fees. But what that fee pays for is you get a free airline ticket every okay. year. You get access to all the different American Express perks and offers and promotions with other companies. So you're basically, it's like a ticket to play on some of these cards. But for some of these other like store credit cards that come with an annual fee, I mean, it doesn't make any sense. Like I'm not gonna pay 
50 bucks to have a credit card at Kohl's or at Macy's or any of these other companies. Yeah. Um, so that's the big thing while you're seeing it. I will say the other part is you, uh, why you would pay a fee is usually for the promotion. So I'll use myself as an example. So for American Express, I just upgraded our card because they offered a promotion. Upgrade now and you'll get 50,000 miles or whatever yeah. the promotion was. And my wife and I are going to Disney with our kids. So I said, perfect, there's airline tickets right there. So it's more of a conscious purchase. Now, yeah. we'll be paying this fee every year. Now, it still gets additional perks and everything else, but that, that's kind of why you'd see somebody take advantage of that. Okay. But my advice would be avoid those cards initially because if when I was 22 or 23, $100 goes a long way. And I'm not trying to spend that on just to have some perks on a credit card. Yes, it does. Absolutely. hundred bucks goes a lot. <laughs> <laughs> How long can that last you now, Zach? Oh, man, it could last me all month. If <laughs> I really ration it out, it could last me all month. Um, I do not miss college. <laughs> it's fun. I'm having fun. It is fun. I agree with you. It's just sometimes 100 bucks is, you know, all I got. <laughs> What I'm curious what your experience with credit cards is at you know, your stage in life. I actually just signed up for a credit card about the same time you were saying you did, Nick, probably mm -hmm. a year ago, sophomore year in, in uh, college. I like it. I did not sign up for the auto pay because I want to see how much I'm spending. Yeah. Um, I like to pull it up in the middle of the week, double check everything, make sure I'm still on track. I will use the uh, the like the pending statements uh, to catch up on all my budgeting to make sure everything's solid, make sure I'm spending the right amount on gas, food, yeah, miscellaneous items, you know, what have you. So it's been very helpful to stay on track. Yeah, that's impressive. I signed up for AutoPay because. Probably I was like very interested the first couple months I had a credit card and then I stopped caring. <laughs> and I knew that was going to happen. So I was like, I can, I need to, I personally need to be set up with auto pay and it just automatically comes out. Yeah. And my credit limit isn't like, I don't even try to increase my credit limits because I like being limited. Oh, I, you, like, you, like, you like the cap, you like the ceiling. Yeah. Yeah. There you go. So do I. So, do I. so, so yeah, I mean, but that would be my first big thing would be just that. Um, okay. Then as far as if you do have a credit card, I mean, I'm also a fan of auto pay just to make sure that you're not going to get crushed with interest. Um, yeah. I guess the other thing with a lot of these cards, um, you're looking usually in the high teens for interest. So by having some type of, even if it's like a minimum payment that goes in just to help alleviate some of that interest, I'm always a fan. So. Yeah. So, but as far as um, to kind of get back for the financial independence, because I mean, a credit card can definitely hinder financial independence, depending upon how it's utilized. Yeah. Um, that kind of goes into kind of the next thing we were talking about, um, as far as one of the other big habits. Um, when we were looking at credit cards and tracking spending and being and looking at where everything's allocated, the other big piece of that is being honest with your finances and spending. So another thing that I will see with a lot of clients is clients are not honest on what they are actually spending. So if I come into a meeting, a client's saying they're going to spend 
3000 or 4000 dollars a month i will mentally in my head usually add in a thousand dollars to that wow. okay just to give a nice big cushion um for spending because typically people when they think about what they're spending it's a mortgage it's utilities it's real basic costs but they forget all the additional luxury items so going out to eat additional clothing haircuts is one i even see for people people will spend I mean, for me, I spend nothing. I have a, a razor <laughs> now, but uh, that is such a good point. But on the, some of these haircuts, that might be you know, hundred fifty bucks, two hundred bucks a month, yeah. and if it's consistent, it can add up. Especially for women, that's just, I'm just thinking about my own personal budget because um, <laughs> Trevor and I are getting a new car. Yeah. I want to talk about awesome. the details of that on the podcast, but okay. we're getting a new car. It's a more expensive car than we've ever had. Yeah. And I was like, he, Trevor basically asked me permission to get this car, which I really appreciate. And shout out to the podcast that was, that's being posted the week before this on what to think about when you're married. And Mike talked about um, being open with each other about your finances so that you're on the same page. Yeah. So shout out to Trevor for <laughs> being a good husband and uh, including me in that decision. But we have never sat down and had like talked about an actual budget, which Nick is going to probably shoot me. No, <laughs> no, no. But um, we finally, I was like, I'm sitting down and I'm writing down all of our expenses, but I didn't include like when I get my hair done, it's usually about twice a year. It's probably like $200. Yeah. yeah. And I mean, the other things I'll see even are, and I hate saying this because I'm a bad culprit of this, is even dry cleaning. So dry cleaning, if it's every two weeks for like a suit or for dress clothes or whatever, yeah, that adds up. And I, that's a budget item that I've seen on one client and they had dry cleaning. It was an, a huge amount. I mean, the person wore suits every single day, but it was a pretty big line item in their budget. Um, so they actually had some, you know, honesty and awareness yeah. uh, for that. But I would say people undershooting their budget is probably one of the biggest issues from a financial independence perspective, because again, that goes back to awareness as well. If you're not honest and aware of what you're actually spending, then you're basically false starting. You're never yeah. going to get there. Do you think it comes from an honesty place or do you think it comes from an awareness place? Or a little bit of both? I think it's more honesty okay. because I'm probably in the same boat where I don't even want to think about what I'm spending. <laughs> I think I'm spending less. I mean, I'm a big Starbucks person and uh, I will deny to my last breath on how much I actually spend. Yeah. Um, and my wife knows it too. Um, she's also a Starbucks drinker. Thank God. <laughs> so, <laughs> but um, I yeah. think it's honesty. Um, really. I mean, it's, it's easier to have that plausible deniability in your brain of, Oh, I'm not spending that much. What, what, what do you think from a, from a college perspective, how, how really honest are you with your, your spending? You know, I try to be, but, uh, like you said, there are some ticket items where I'm just like, wow, I didn't mean to spend this much money. Uh, <laughs> oops. So, yeah. I feel like you get a pass when you're in college. Yeah. As yeah. long as you're not racking up debt like you talked about. Yes. I feel like you get a little bit of a pass. Yeah, I would agree. I, I do give myself a little bit of leniency, and I think that has to do with kind of the honesty section where I'm like, ah, this is this is fine. You know, I'm not breaking the bank, so it'll be okay. But yeah, I remember for so my wife went to the University of Dayton, so 
Domino's there have a Big Ten deal, which was a large pizza, breadsticks, and two drinks for $10, and it's served till 4 o'clock in the morning. I'm pretty sure that saved Erica and myself when I would visit from probably running into more debt <laughs> throughout her college career. So yeah. I also, my second job is a, is a pizza job. So that is, <laughs> that is cut down a lot on, uh, on food expenses. Okay. Okay. Yeah. So, so, yeah. so that was a more of a strategic move then. That wasn't, <laughs> that wasn't just a, I needed a job. No, no. So, I mean, I think that even for what you mentioned before, the, uh, from honesty and, uh, and you're talking about your budget as well, Zach, and, and Libby as well, sitting down, actually writing things down. That kind of goes in the next piece of financial independence, which is setting obtainable financial goals, which there's the thing I want to really uh, convey with this type of habit is that psychologically, you are more likely to continue on a path if you achieve a goal. If you set a goal or a bar that's so astronomically high that you're never going to obtain it, which again, isn't a bad thing for some people, but you are more likely to continue on the right path if you set a goal that is obtainable that you then achieve. Um, it's kind of like, I, my wife will laugh, I'll do this quote, but it's the legally blonde quote of endorphins make you happy. It's the same mentality for obtaining goals. Once you obtain a financial goal, endorphins are released, you feel good about it, you feel confident about it. So you're more than likely going to continue on that same path. Where I see a lot of this go sideways with people, they'll set a goal that's so high where let's say they've got I'll just say student loan debt now for the average person is what, probably fifty to sixty thousand mm-hmm. dollars. For a lot of people, to have a mindset of I'm going to pay this off in one year. Sure, you can do it, but you're probably living on ramen noodles and yeah. be living a very tough life for that time window. So people get frustrated when it's year two or year three and they're still paying the student loan debt. They're way ahead of the curve, but there's this mindset of oh, I'm never going to get out of this debt. And it's, it's frustrating. So psychologically, that can really derail people from that independence yeah. experience. So that's the one thing I want to say from a financial independence perspective is making sure you have obtainable goals that are set. Would so. you mind sharing some of your goals? <laughs> so I will share one of my, uh, a goal. Um, so like right now, so I have three kids under the age of five. And they are all boys, and that's also why I have no hair. Um, <laughs> but for college savings. We are putting money away right now, and our goal is, you know, to try to get them to have it fully paid for wherever they want to go. Hopefully, all my kids get full rides. James, Thomas, and Daniel, when we listen to this in 10 years, just remember this conversation. Setting the bar high. Setting the bar high. <laughs> but um, so for us, we have a goal, and this is when our first is born, just to make sure that we're still be putting away 200 bucks a month, just yeah. and have it like an auto bill. Are you doing that? I'm just curious. Are you doing that through a 529 plan? Yes, through a 529 plan. Correct. Um, And the thought is once our kids are out of daycare, that's basically a fixed expense on our budget right now. So we're going to take that daycare expense we're used to paying and just shift that all over to the 529 contributions. So we're maintaining the same cash flow. But from an attainable goal perspective, that $100 each month is something that we've continued per child. So it's already kind of built in. It's a nice, easy win. It's okay. It's a hundred bucks. It's in the 529. We're good to go. So it's a nice, easy win every single month. Yeah. 
I'll use the student loan example as well. So my wife uh, is an attorney, so when she graduated, she had student loan debt. We didn't have any kids at the time, and we had a very aggressive goal of paying off her student loans as, much, as quick as possible. We pay it off in two and a half years. Now, I lived on ramen noodles and peanut butter and jelly, and we had a very <laughs> tiny apartment. And it was, I mean, it wasn't rough necessarily, but we made conscious. It wasn't lavish. Yeah, and we made <laughs> very constant um, and conscious payments towards these student loans. Yeah. So those were two. I mean, that's that was probably more of the astronomical goal that wasn't so high in the sky that it couldn't be obtained, but it was at least still there. Um, but just having the mental goal of $100 per uh, per month going into the 529 plan is an easy win that we see. Yeah. Yeah. So well, what about you guys? What would be your, what's a quick goal that you have other than making an arm and a leg off of trading stocks on a daily basis? <laughs> and then, what, uh, well, what are some just financially some of the, the sustainable goals that you usually hit or try to set? Uh, 1% of my paychecks right into my IRA. Okay. Okay. Every month. Every month? 1%. Something real easy. Okay. Something where I'm not going to miss it when it's gone. Mm-hmm. But yeah. that'll pay off in dividends quite literally. Literally. Yeah. Yeah. Well, that's good, especially for somebody that's 21 years old. I know when I was 21, I was not thinking that yeah. at all. So yeah, one percent of paychecks into into my Roth, um, which has been very nice, and I'm looking forward to having that you know that income when I retire. But especially early years in college, seeing that number and yeah. going, wow, I have twenty seven dollars, but this I, I can't touch it because uh, I'd take too much of a penalty or it just wasn't mm -hmm. worth it. So. It's great, but especially early on when I wasn't prepared uh, to, to enter into college with all the uh, bills, uh, it, it was a little difficult to yeah. see that, but yeah. Yeah. So uh, a couple other things then with that. So, I mean, I think we can all on the same page of having these obtainable goals. I mean, there's what comes along with those goals. I also want to make sure I mention before I forget, there's two components of that with setting up obtainable goals. One, being in self-control, so being able to, like, consciously be able to control your finances and saying, okay, like, I need to know what I'm going to spend, um, and um, I have an attainable goal, and I'm not going to be overspending. But something that also comes with that is not keeping up with the Joneses or keeping up with the Kardashians, as <laughs> Zach likes to say. Yeah, um, So the one thing I want to also stress with these obtainable goals, it's by person to person. So I'm not going to compare myself to somebody that's making a million dollars a year. The gargles are going to be different. Uh, their spending levels, the expenses are going to be different. So that's something that I think can also get uh, catch people off guard is they're going to try to keep up to speed with their neighbor or mm -hmm. with their friends or in different aspects of their life or different uh, income levels. Um, and if you're on that treadmill trying to keep pace with somebody next to you, that's really going to be a way of derailing your financial independence. Yeah. Um, so that's something I also want to make sure I shared or make sure was conveyed um, as people are thinking about setting these attainable goals. I think that's probably the hardest part for me. Yeah. It's just wanting to not just it's not about comparing myself to other people, but about wanting to do the things that I want to do. 
Mm-hmm. And when other people are doing things that are fun but cost a lot of money, mm-hmm. I typically will just say yes and not think about how it's affecting my budget. The, there's the amount of vacations I see on Facebook where people are going to all these exotic locations. Yeah. Oh, that, that cuts me deep <laughs> every time. Um, and it's usually the same two or three people, and I swear they're on vacation every two weeks. And my first thought is, do you work? Yeah. And two, I'm just like, and then the second thing is, how how can I do that? How, like, what? how do I get out? What are they doing like, right? Yeah, what are they I doing right? It. So, yeah. um, no, they're in a completely different field, and they're in a completely different situation. A lot of people don't have children or anything else like that, so... Um, so that makes that gives me that's probably the excuse that I use to feel better about <laughs> myself. Um, but yeah, that's that is, especially with social media and Instagram and everything. You're always going to see people traveling and doing everything they want to do. Yeah, so. I do think that makes it harder, especially as I've gotten older. I've watched more and more of my friends stop posting pictures of what they did over the weekend. Yep, and they're starting to post pictures of these awesome trips that they're going on or, you you know, whatever it is, things, even just like wearing what I know are expensive clothes and those types of things. And I'm like, I, you know, I can't help but get jealous. Right. I'm not afraid to admit that. Right. No, uh, that's why if I'm on Facebook and I see a vacation, I just turn my phone upside (laughs) down. I go, yep, we'll look at that later. Yeah. Uh, They'll just, they'll get on my skin a little bit. Um, I think that's, probably leads into the last thing, which for financial independence, the final key foundational piece would be trusting the process. So I talked about before how people get frustrated and usually abandon the process of trying to become financially independent. It is a long road and journey. It does not happen overnight. It's probably, I'll just add this into ever-changing. Right. Also considering, you talked a little bit about life stages, but I'm not in the same place I was right. when I graduated. Right. Um, there's just, it's always changing. Right. So to your point, making sure you can adapt your financial plan, adapt adapt to your current situation. But again, making sure that once you step on, set out on this path, trust the process that you will get there. And that yeah. goes back to the attainable goals, making sure that if you're setting a goal to become financially independent, that you have logical steps to get there, you know, steps that are not going to, be so dire that you get frustrated and you just abandon a process altogether. So but those are kind of some of the key habits for financial independence I want to make sure we share today, um, especially as we're wrapping up summer getting in the fall and people are starting college and people are now theoretically that have graduated are now in their mm-hmm. professional job. Um, so this is sh- perfect timing. This was. This was perfect. Said, yeah. Yeah. And so, um, so, yes, Louis, thank you for having us both on here. Um, and, again, just as a reminder that our conversation today, anything that was discussed, always educational in nature, always consider your own personal situation before making any decisions, and do not construe anything that I have said, Zach or Libby has said today as tax advice, financial advice, or legal advice. Again, please remember that this podcast was strictly for educational purposes only and should not be considered a solicitation Um, nor should you take it as tax or legal advice. Also, you can find more educational resources available on our Twitter and Instagram, so be sure to follow us at Haran1948. And if you could subscribe to our podcast, we would love that also, and you'll get notified whenever we have new episodes.
Thanks for listening. See you next time. Nothing we say in this podcast is representative of any specific plan and should not be construed as legal, regulatory, or accounting advice. If there is any discrepancy between what we say and your plan document, your plan document will 